0: I wanna thank Mr. Cruz and all the parents and all the kids. Appreciate those developing skills and a blessing to us to remind us that we are marching. And this morning, that's a very good metaphor because I wanna talk about taking the next step in our lives and our lifestyles this morning. I'm entitling my message, The Evolution from Heads to Tails. And I want to give an invite to everybody. This evening, I will be speaking on the battle of Armageddon and the seven last plagues at six o'clock. I invite you to join us and to be informed and be blessed with the assurance of Christ that he is well able to deliver his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings of gathering in your name. And I'm asking now, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts, our minds, our ears, in my case, my lips, And I pray, Lord, may I have the freedom to express in a Christ-centered way the call to higher ground for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The evolution from heads to tails. The Bible makes a prediction. God always had in mind that the excellence of His relationship with His people would produce unavoidable clear results. So at the end of the story of the five books of Moses... You have the blessings and the curses, and God made this promise, said the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. This morning, I'm coming to you to speak about present truth, especially to Seventh-day Adventists. Now, if you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, we surely hope you're blessed by the message. But if you're here today, pursuing a knowledge of God, I want to let you know that Jesus wants to give you the most vibrant, beautiful life that stands out as a sweet and positive witness in a dark and souring world. But that call is to higher ground. And there is a cross that is involved in our daily living. If the cross doesn't make its way into our daily living, the power of the sanctifying presence of Jesus won't be with us. The cross not only assures us but it empowers us to a life of fuller surrender. We die daily as a living sacrifice, offering up our very actions and thoughts to God. God wants to have a beautiful fragrance amongst his people, and he's looking to change his heart, mind, and soul. So, as I'm in one of the final messages of Jesus on prophecy, we have to ask ourselves, does it matter how we live in these apocalyptic days? It's so important that we answer this question the right way because the failure to answer it could be our loss eternally and the loss of others. Now, I don't want to make it more than it is, but I don't want to make it less than it is. Inside Adventist circles, it's become quite chic to downplay holy living. And so it could be entertainment, it could be dress, it could be music, it could be diet. Well, this morning, I'm here to talk with you about lifestyle, especially healthy living. More than diet. But I'm here to call you to higher ground in this age of supposed enlightenment. Now, wouldn't it be sad that the people who have the gift of prophecy in their midst, who've had inspiration for years to know ahead of scientific revelation, how to live, wouldn't it be sad if the light became darkness to us? Now, I'm here to tell you that there is a general trend inside of Adventism. I'm watching it happen generationally, where items that used to give us an advantage mentally, physically, spiritually, and perhaps even socially are not being taught, not being practiced, and consequentially the witness for Christ is being diminished. So on my way into school this week, I I was listening to national public radio, and I caught the last little bit of this uh, piece they were doing, keeping your blood sugar in check could lower your Alzheimer's risk. I thought, well, this is interesting. Now, I only got the last little bit, but I thought to myself, the link between mental health or brain health and eating. The first thing that came to my mind was how the spirit of prophecy encourages us to have regular times to eat. Some of the other things that have come to my mind are things like Dr. Uh, uh, Youngberg telling us after you eat, go for a little 15 minute walk. It'll stabilize. Of course, your blood sugar. Of course, this is talking about a more aggravated blood sugar level, but some of the things in the article and the news report were quite interesting. And I'd like to show them to you. This is a PET scan of your brain metabolizing sugar. All right. It's important for you to understand it needs a certain amount and not too much. One of the Uh, statements was that scientists are describing how mice fed a diet that includes lots of fat and sugar were more likely to develop both diabetes and memory impairment. Well, none of us want either of those things, especially as we age. We know that both of them become increasingly a potential lifestyle disease for us. It's important that we're not eating too much sugar and fat. They went on to say sleep problems are another common feature of both Alzheimer's and diabetes. Quoting Shannon McCauley, professor of gerontology and geriatric medicine at Wake Forest School of University. There's a reason that in our acronym New Start, which comprises lifestyle medicine, okay, how to be healthy, that we're not to be churning through our hours of sleep trying to do things to make more money or get better grades or whatever it might be. You might do it occasionally, but regular sleep is a big deal for the rebuilding of the body. And you don't want those amyloid proteins that goo up your brain and seem to be by everybody's assessment to be a key component to Alzheimer's and and dementia. You don't want those things. And what we're being reminded of here is that simple things appear with increasing revelation to be a part of the platform for developing those diseases. Poor sleep is a known risk factor for Alzheimer's. Listen, you want to get better sleep? Make yourself get up early and make yourself do a little exercise and read the Bible and pray before you go to bed. And you'll be on the best track you can be on but it does matter and science is telling us this this is not new science Dan Buettner's book on the blue zones you know he identified in five places and one of the ones where people were living to a hundred centenarians we call them was Loma Linda the unique thing about this is Loma Linda is the only place in the first world not the developing world in other words his four other spots tend to be places where the people were poor and removed from the opportunity to indulge. Loma Linda is not like that. Here's a little pie chart of how they ingested their carbohydrates and proteins. He labeled Ikea or Icaria, Greece, Okinawa, Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya Peninsula and Costa Rica and Loma Linda. But technically Loma Linda isn't of the real blue zone. I thought this was interesting. It gets that label because about a third of its 24,000 residents are part Of a close-knit community that values physical, mental, and spiritual, I would add, habits of helping them live longer, healthier, vibrant lives. One-third of the population could put them on the map. It's quite amazing. What do they do? They eat plants. 90 to 95% of your daily food intake should be fruits, veggies, grains, greens, and beans. If you go to the Loma Linda Market, you find all kinds of things to eat, except one thing. There is no meat section. And if you walk into some of the other things you can find there, like their cafeteria, you're going to find the same thing. It's vegetarian. Of course, we don't need to go to Southern California. We've got our own Andrews University, in which case you'll find our own Apple Valley and our own cafeteria, which is a fantastic place to enjoy food here. They're the same way. And so it's important for us to understand what helps a person live to be 100. Well, don't add too much dairy. Vegan diets can be very good for you. As a matter of fact, several of you are vegan. It's how my wife and I try to live, but occasionally it doesn't work out that way. But at home, this is our goal. Because veganism, while it's not to be a religion, is to benefit you. And Spirit of Prophecy does tell us as we come to the end of time that even the animals that were once considered safe to eat will not be safe. Listen, it wasn't that long ago that you could pick up a Newsweek periodical and you could read about them feeding animals Cow manure to the chickens or chicken manure to the cows All right, does either one of those sound like the way you want to be getting your food secondhand? I want you to think about these things dairy Listen Everybody needs to know full disclosure. I grew up not an Adventist I ate as many hamburgers as anybody else that lived to be 14 before they became a vegetarian I did the dishes. We did not have a dishwasher. I'm going to tell you something you you test it out You go get a little margarine, vegan, spread it on your bread, set the knife down, then go get yourself a stick of butter, spread it on your bread, set the knife down, then go to the dish sink and see which one is harder to get off your stainless steel flatware. I promise you, your veins and arteries aren't much different, and the problem with Circulatory disease is that by the time you've had it your habits are well established and changing your palate What you like to eat is much harder Yes, today. I'm going to talk about two things I'm going to talk about the Adventist indulgences and I'm going to talk about the indulgences of the world that are destroying us If you are not if you are in the habit of making fun of veganism Well, they kind of deserve it sometimes don't we? Yeah My wife told me of an encounter. Now, not everybody deserves it. But just this week, I didn't plan this into the sermon. It was told to me two nights ago. Someone my wife knows was being introduced to somebody. And I kid you not. When they put out their hand to introduce themselves, they said, I'm a vegan. Now, mind you, I try to live this way. If I come to your house and we're having cheese, I'm going to eat it. But instead of saying, I'm Cheryl, or I'm Susie, no kidding. She said, I'm a vegan. I had somebody give me a joke between the services. I don't usually use jokes. I'm going to use it because I want to drive a point home. Your identity is not to be your diet. That's a weak amen. I'm going to say it again. Your identity is not to be your diet. So, three different people go into a bar one's an atheist don't get your feelings hurt folks one's an atheist, not yet pastor, hang on one's a vegan and I hesitate to use the last category but just get the point okay it's not my joke and one's a crossfit trainer (laughs) within five minutes everybody knows why? because they told them Now, I want you to think about this. Why is it that people who declare there is no God have to make sure you know right away there is no God? And the other two categories are opposites maybe on the spiritual end, but they're not opposites on the end of potential misconnected identity. So, lest any of you vegans who are more vegan than I am go out of here mad at me for what I've just said I could wish everybody listening to me practiced a non-dairy lifestyle but if you are please don't make it your religion go ahead it's a preferred lifestyle but do not make it your religion because I had a text listen the first service generated a lot of feedback I've gotten a lot of feedback between 10 o'clock and 1220. (laughs) Of people being run out of the church, especially young people, because of the wrong application of standards. And I just told you a story about eating 18 donuts too. I wasn't very smart myself about it. Avoid too much dairy. Have a cup of beans every day. This flattens out your blood sugar cycles. Limit your sugar to 28 grams or less, which, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How do I go back with this thing? I want you to, I want you to see something. Seven grams a day. That means if you got your drink at McDonald's with your French fries, you probably went over Maybe by double, depending on whether or not you supersized it. And that means there was no other place for sugar in your diet the whole day. Drink lots of water, not water that has juice or flavors of pop or coffee. That's not what this is talking about. You want to live to be vibrant into your old age? Get regular, moderate exercise. Some get lots, some get none. And rest up. Don't fill your life too full and enjoy the Sabbath to its fullest. The Adventist health study suggests that men who drank five or six daily glasses of water had a substantial reduction in the risk of fatal heart attack. 60 to 70% compared to those who drank considerably less. Look, your heart's a pump. It can either pump sludge or it can pump water that's colored red and carries all kinds of things in it that your little bitty cells need. It's absolutely important that you understand it is a pump. And if you don't drink water, you're forcing it to push syrup through your veins as opposed to pushing water like comes out of your garden hose. Drink your water. And that way you won't find yourself in difficult ways in unnecessary spots clutching your chest. The study of church members found that vegetarians were 22% less likely than meat eaters to be diagnosed with colon, Or rectal cancer. What's wrong with all that meat? Some of you don't understand because you see the fibers in the meat. You think there's dietary fiber in there. It's not the same. That fiber is only a figment of muscular imagination. You look at it and there's fibers in the meat, but that is not the same as what we call dietary fiber, which is a non digestible substance which forces the food through your intestinal tract. And keeps it from sitting there when you eat that meat it sits in your colon much longer than a vegetarian diet and that's why cancer can develop there's a festering and an irritation so you need to understand the physiology of it at least I want you to notice in this slide especially who the article where the article was recorded the Los Angeles Times I have blacked out what comes after the colon white it out there's a colon right here why Loma Linda residents live longer than the rest of us. I'm gonna show you why at the end of the sermon, but I want you to notice that godly living in regards to the mechanism, this amazing designed device is absolutely imperative. Now we all know that chance is a part of health. My wife grew up so much healthier than I did. I don't think she's ever intentionally had a piece of flesh between her ivories, but at 18 she had cancer. It wasn't because there was not an attempt to live by health but the exception to the rule is not to keep us from the obvious which is that choices do make a difference. So this morning I want to talk about those choices and make sure you understand what God hopes for. He wants us to prosper and be in be healthy in all things just as our soul prospers. God understood that they were all connected. Spirit Body, mind, it all goes together. The Bible teaches this unity. God wants to save us completely, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Listen, I've walked into hospital rooms where people are dying. They're dying because they've clogged up their own arteries. Yes, some of it was genetic. Their parents had the same problem. And some of it was aided and abetted by the fact that nobody was going to keep them from getting their Big Mac. And you say oh pastor don't listen i walked into a woman's room once now let's go back to the vegan thing at the risk of offending the vegans hi i'm a vegan now imagine me as a young man in my 20s walking into a hospital in indianapolis this tells you how long ago it's been i was an intern at the glendale church in indianapolis so i'm in my mid-20s i'm walking in to see this older woman the first thing out of her mouth is not hey i'm a vegan It's, I'm not here because I eat meat. I want to tell you, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You don't have to confess to me. But I want to tell you, if the first thing you say when I walk into your room is, I'm not here with all this heart trouble because I'm a meat eater, I'm going to leave that for you and God to wrestle out. But I do know this. As far as it's in my power, I don't plan to be laying there Needing somebody to take a vein from here and put it here There are choices. Science bears it out. Inspiration told us The Bible tells us we're living at the end of time and we are to give God glory I want to talk about how I want to talk about your choices You were bought with a price Therefore glorify God in your what, friends? Body Now it'd be one thing if you didn't know better. It's another thing if you know and you don't do. This morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what I want everybody to understand is that God has prompted me to prompt you to take the next step. I don't know what it is. It's not for me to tell you what it is. I'm not ever gonna get between you and God. God knows your heart, he knows your history, he knows your DNA. But I do know this. I've run into a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who as soon as the preacher gets a little too close to where the Holy Spirit's been speaking silently and the preacher has got a little megaphone called his own human voice or her own human voice, I want to tell you, I've seen people come out and be pretty mean and nasty. It's kind of the pitfalls of pastoring. You're not the source, hopefully, of the message, but sometimes you're labeled as the troublemaker like Elijah was before Ahab. Ahab we've been bought with a price, and we are to glorify God in our body. How you glorify God in your body is a function of your understanding of both natural law, healthful living, and what God's saying is the next step for you. If you say, no way, I'm not taking the next step. If you say, God's not talking to me, preacher, leave me alone, that's up for you and God to work out. You'll meet those kind of things in the judgment. But if God says to you, it's time to move, and the preacher was just a prompt, then don't get the preacher in the mix of the trouble between you and God. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. While Paul is the preeminent theologian of Romans to tell us that we are saved by faith, he's also the largest contributor to the New Testament and most of the book of 1 Corinthians and many of his other epistles about how to change how you're living. And it's not grace theology in Romans and work theologies in in 1 Corinthians or Ephesians or whatever it is. It's righteousness by faith that accepts I'm safe and secure in a relationship with God and a love for God for what he's given me that prompts me, empowers me to fight the battle with self and win. This is how it works. Glorifying God. There are some habits and some lifestyle practices which completely, unequivocally destroy your body. Do you know that Seventh-day Adventists started doing five-day plans in 1959? And do you know that the Surgeon General did not come out and tell the world that smoking was bad for you until 1964? I want to tell you by merit of inspiration, we knew these things would kill you. And how many thousands of people, we used to have thousands attending our first Breathe Free seminars. Actually back then it was the five-day plan to stop smoking. Every cigarette takes some say up to almost 15 minutes off your life. I don't know about you, but I don't need a pack a day to take away a few hours out of my life. I grew up in a home where there was smoking. It's the single biggest cause of cancer in the world. It tightens down your vascular system and when the, the nicotine, and by the way, I didn't say anything about caffeine in the first service, but I'm going to talk about it before I'm done. Because almost nobody listening to me right now smokes. I know it. And so you're off the hook for this part of the sermon, most of you. <laughs> Except some of you should be helping do Breathe Free programs. Some of you should be out in our local trailer park or in Benton Harbor or wherever it is helping people get free I've done many of them even though I've never smoked I grew up around smoking I don't have to have smoked to understand how to help somebody quit and by the way the method for learning to quit smoking is really the method for learning how to break every other bad habit you've got and every time I taught it I learned something I mean I actually had people come to breathe free programs where we taught them to quit cold turkey drink lots of liquid mainly water We had people who use substitutes, so they put the patch on the arm. If you need the patch, use it. But I wanna tell you, I remember quite distinctly standing in the Cicero Fellowship Hall when someone came in and said, I about killed myself. Oh yeah, how'd you do it? Well, I put the patch on this arm, forgot, didn't take it off, and I put the patch on this arm too. And basically, it was transdermally feeding nicotine through both sides of their body. And I wanna tell you, there's only so much of that your body can take. Yes, indeed, nicotine causes the arteries to shrink and it has a direct effect on what kind of risk you have So if you're a smoker listening to me today online or in this audience I want to hear you tell you something God loves you. You can quit. You'll be happier when you do as a baby. I Smoked a lot of cigarettes before I ever appeared on the outside world I don't know how many cigarettes I smoked from the time that I was a boy until the time I said to my mom I'm not buying you cigarettes anymore. I have a wonderful mom but i want to tell you something that picture that i showed the teachers this summer up at campus is one of the most touching pictures there's my mother i'm her firstborn she's holding me just imagine this she's 22 years old she's looking down into my face like only a mother could look into her firstborn and over here is the ashtray and over here is the pack of cigarettes I'm six foot two inches tall and I was born six pounds and something I was a little baby I, when I was riding in the car I'd roll my window down and stick my nose up to it so I could breathe some fresh air I was never tempted to smoke but let's get real clear about this friends any habit that makes you sick when you start but you keep doing it because your friends might reject you it makes you feel like you want to throw up your body's telling you don't do this Any habit like that shouldn't be too smart to figure out, I've got the wrong friends. Listen to me, young people. In this community, I've been here for the burial of three young men. In 20-some years of ministry, never once did I attend a ceremony for a young person who died through substance abuse? I'm telling you, there's some dangers in this little town, a quasi blue zone. And if you parents practice laissez faire parenting, lay back, they're all with the Seventh day Adventists, it's okay. You're setting yourself up for a child who can be sucked into the perversities of the Mecca. It's got so many privileges and blessings, and I'm gonna go farther than that. This wasn't in the first service. We have two preeminent examples in the bible of people who could stand up to culture and be a winner one is named joseph one is named daniel he has three other friends who seem to do it too how did they do it you want your kids to be apocalyptic lifestyle winners here's how you do it your child must be taught to practice an open love for jesus not embarrassed not ashamed of God or his church, of his church or its mission. When our children do not practice an open profession, Ellen White, my paraphrase, no direct quote you're going to find, but she basically says of Joseph, his open profession of Jesus saved him from a myriad number of temptations. Amen. When I live open for Christ, the world cannot, like a boa constrictor, slow come around me before it starts squeezing the life out of me. When I proclaim that I hold in my hand a sword that is a serpent killing sword, the serpents hang back until they think they can strike a different kind of blow. I want you to think about it. Is your parenting style, is your grandparenting involvement, are we unembarrassed to be distinct and different for Jesus? This is the call of the hour because the press of the world when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into its mold You don't want to be squeezed into its mold Listen, we're in a world where when I was a boy watching TV Everything was happy days and now it's confusion to the max where if you don't know if you're a boy or a girl That's okay. We'll do surgery to change things around and nobody should ever say anything That that reflects anything but positive on your choice of feelings This world is exceptionally confused, and I'm appealing to you to understand that the way out is open, beautiful, loving profession of Jesus Christ, and not one bit embarrassed about the differences. Yes, quitters always win, by the grace of God, when it comes to smoking or any other system indulgence that creates addiction Jesus is stronger than any enslaving physical habit you have in church what do you say it's exactly the case I don't want anybody here to get confused about anything it's not it's not I'll let that go you determine to learn to listen to Jesus study the word listen and let Jesus set you free because he has the power. He says to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. I want you to know something. The angels probably, probably could sit on the throne with Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, this is, in, this is in the last message to the Laodiceans where he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. But he doesn't say this to any other generation of churches. He says, those of you who overcome, yeah, nobody understands what it's like to suffer through sin except the human beings and Jesus. Those who overcome, they're going to sit on my throne. They will have the ultimate sense of judgment. Now I'm going to talk about alcohol. This is going to apply to a lot more people, hopefully not many. Some of you have not grown up around alcohol. I had an uncle who worked for Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery. I don't want to say a whole lot more except to say this. I'm not sure I was ever at his house that there wasn't a beer in his hand or a beer close by. And I'm sure it shortened his life. I know it did a lot of ruination to family dynamics, but I've seen alcohol up close and personal too many times to where nobody was going to tempt me to put a bottle to my lips or a beer can up to my mouth. We need to take our kids out to the missions and the the skid rows or wherever it is. We need to let them see where these kind of decisions take people, and then they can make up their own mind. Instead of hearing, hearing you say, I want you home at... 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock because you're not quite sure about some of the habits of their friends instead of them thinking you're the great killjoy take them out and let them see who the great killjoy is it's satan and his alluring temptations to drag them into the pit bind them with their own desires make them addicts through besetting sin and then never able to get free and by the way there's people in this audience who have been set free and they could stand up and testify to the glorious liberty of life in christ this is where we're at friends overcoming the bottle. Look at this eye. A doctor can look in your eye and get a sense of how much you've been drinking. Why? Because the blood clots together, which is why your brain cells die because that same blood cannot squeeze down into those little bitty capillaries and parts of your brain actually die off. Alcohol is an enemy. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray, Is not wise who has woe who has sorrow who has strife or complaints who has needless bruises and bloodshot eyes those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine listen friends I'm not gonna talk about some of my own stories today but I'm here to tell you there are too many men who under the influence of alcohol quit treating their wives and their children the right way. And if you're a man listening to me here today and you know one of these men, it's your job, not outside of good judgment, but at times when the man is sober, it's your job to stand up to them and say, friend, my friends don't treat their wives like this. My friends don't treat their kids like this. Men who lose their sense of sobriety and self-control do all kinds of untold damage. And even if they never lay a hand, I can remember once driving across uh, Route 24, United States Highway Route 24. If you go down to Indianapolis, you cross it right at Peru, Indiana. That road runs right through Illinois. It crosses the Illinois River on the McCluggage Bridge. I can remember one night riding home with my dad. And there was a drunk in front of us. It was a two-lane bridge, long bridge. And I can remember how nervous it made me just to watch him wondering, is he going to slam into somebody in front of us? The insecurity that an adult male without sobriety brings to a home is tragic. And the effects are lifelong on the child. There's to be no place for this in the homes of those who are living as the apocalyptic remnant. Don't gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind imagine confusing things. Do you not know, Paul will write, interesting, in the book of theology and righteousness by faith, that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey You are that one slave whom you obey. The devil would like nothing more. And by the way, we got out of the cigarette smoking without talking about vaping. Especially those that are vaping with THC, people are dying. One-fourth of all academy, I should say high school students because academy represents our system and this is not for them, although the message is for them. One-fourth of all high school students in America are vaping regularly. And how many others are vaping happenstantially? I don't know. When you you put your vaping substance and you call it bubble gum or candy cotton, should we be surprised that it looks kind of innocuous? Like, oh, it's not a poisonous snake. It won't bite. You bet it's biting. It's on the news right now but what about jesus didn't he provide wine for everybody sure did now i'm going to tie two things together in this service number one look at all those pots they're pretty big they all hold about 20 to 30 gallons let's read the story there were six water pots of stone filled to the brim is what jesus told him to do and what happened it turned into wine there's one word for wine in the new testament it represents both the fermented and the unfermented jesus was not providing something so that people could lose their sensibilities Isaiah refers to the new wine found in the cluster and says, do not destroy it for a what is in it? A blessing. Jesus provided new wine, the best wine anybody's ever had and ever will have until he provides it for us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But that wine was not the kind that would make you insensible. It was about 180 gallons of wine and Jesus is gonna make a point. Now this point will matter a little farther in the sermon. Those were water pots for purification. They were not water pots for drinking. Bible makes this clear. So every Jew, when he would go out into the marketplace, knew he came back tainted because he was standing in the shadows of the heathen. And so when he came back home, lest he bring the tainting of the heathen into his house, he'd get a little bit of water, pour it just above, right where the wrist joins the hand, and the water would drain across the finger. He'd do it this way. Wipe his hands off, go in the house. He was now ritually clean. He was not tainted. The Jews were very prejudiced against every non Jew in their society in that day. You're going to need to know that when I get farther into the sermon. 180 gallons of wine, though. Did Jesus create enough to get the whole village drunk? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact. Jesus said, He was told, every man at the beginning sits out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you've kept the what wine? wine? It's not good, bad wine. It's good wine. In other words, it's the kind of substance that you could delight in with no hangover and no regrets. This wine was not fermented. Those of you that work in fermentation or are chemists understand that fermentation is really a form of spoilage. And that alcohol that's produced is because the food is actually in a form of rotting this could not be the wine that Jesus was providing. It goes completely against everything that Jesus stood for and the laws that directed the prophets to write what they did. I'm going to go a little farther in pressing my case. He took the cup. This is in the upper room before he dies. He gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from all of it for this is you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus will take this fruit and he will give it the elevated status of representing the purifying power of his life in the form of his blood, which dropped down on the rocks at Golgotha. This will be the symbol of the cleansing power of God. It is not a symbol of anything that's spoiled, putrefied, or corrupted. But let's go farther. Paul will say for such a high priest was fitting for us speaking of Jesus who is holy harmless and what undefiled separate from sinners has become higher than the heavens you see Jesus was the perfect sacrifice he was not going to be providing substance that would lead to the kind of destruction that these things do the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness what two things are missing come on All right, some of you got it. Gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. So would Jesus provide substance that could lead to this? Look, friends, it doesn't make sense logically or theologically. What Jesus did was provide for those at that feast something that could make them joyous without making them delirious. God's promise is to give us abundant health. Now, this part of the sermon is going to be for all the Adventists. Look at the book. It's the book of beginnings. In the beginning, the the substance to eat is represented by the picture here. Nothing that could lick your hand or look you in the eye was to die. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. The Eden diet was completely vegetarian. Not too many amens. I don't know if I should deduce anything from that or not. Some of my best friends are not vegetarians. Some of my family is not vegetarian. And I told in the first service how startled and surprised I was when once I took my kids to Wendy's. I have four kids. It was not my daughter. So it's one of the boys. We'll give them a merit, a modicum of anonymity. And I was surprised. I thought they were teasing, but they ordered chicken. I paid for it and told them, you will never find me paying for your chicken ever again. The farther you get away from the United States of America, the less vegetarian everyone is. I was once in a Central American country and I had my host tell me, the Adventist health message has not made it to the Inter-American division, something like that. I'm not judging you as bad, I'm calling you to higher ground and before I'm all done, you'll know more why. After the flood, People were given permission to eat meat. Of course, there were atmospheric changes, but there were also dietary changes. They had gone on the boat with seven clean animals of each species and two unclean. And it wasn't until after the flood that people began eating flesh food. God instructed Noah to bring the clean and unclean onto the ark. This is what he said. Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation take with you seven each of every clean animal a male and a female Two each of the animals that are unclean a male and his female now there are two kinds of animals one is clean and one is unclean you say pastor no sweat I don't eat dogs well go to a different part of the world and it's not the case I was telling the kids the other day about walking through a delicatessen in China you could pick your eel your snake, your frog, your lizard, your toad, live out of the aquarium and have it cooked. Talk about fresh meat. That's as fresh as you're going to get. They even had deadly poisonous sea snakes you could eat. I'm glad they were in a glass container with a cover on them. They were very much alive. The Bible, not culture, shapes Our eating habits when Jesus becomes Lord. Amen? Amen. We're going to go a little farther. You may eat every animal with a cloven hoof. That means split. Having the hoof split into two parts so this goat is clean. That chews the cud among the animals. What does chewing the cud mean? It means the animal has more than one stomach. It chews its food, puts it in a stomach, brings it back up, chews it a little bit more. It's able to take the highest order of protein and minerals and vitamins out of the grass. Every animal God said you could eat is a vegetarian. Every single one. There are no meat eaters on the list of human food. These cows fit the bill, but this camel does not. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud, which the camel does, or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these the camel, the hare, the rock, hyrax for they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean to you. Now, do not be confused. In the Bible, there's a discussion of two types of cleanness. One is a ceremonial uncleanness, which made the animals unfit for sacrificial offerings in the temple. The other was a dietary uncleanness. Most of those animals are scavengers. In this case, even though they chew the cud, if they have a padded foot, But it's not cloven if it's not split. They are not for you to eat. So this amazing creature, which would be your best friend if you needed to cross the Sahara Desert, is not to turn into food on your plate. Camel burgers are not part of God's plan. They're not fit for food. And of course, we know he's not. He's not clean on the inside or the outside. I can remember as a boy going down to the farm market south of Pekin, Illinois, and there were a bunch of pigs right next to it. And she'd always warn us, kids, keep your fingers out of the fence, and you'd stare into that filth-filled pen and see these animals that would eat almost anything, including the dead carcasses of their fellow, what? Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus. There we go. Species, all right. Indeed, he has problems. God knew it. He's the garbage collector. The swine is unclean for you because it has... But because it has cloven hoofs and it does not chew the cud, you shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. Leave them alone. Pork is high, 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 high in regards to the cholesterol that's there for you. And beyond that, these little worms that you're looking at here, these trichina. Everybody says, oh, don't worry about that. Even though one in four specimens have a living trichina alive in it, I cook mine long enough. Well, some people aren't. That's why you have trichinosis. And how many little dead parasites, dead worms, do you want to be eating? They're not for us. Oh, you're getting off easy, aren't you, folks? Because none of you eat this. Some of you do. They may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat that have fins and scales, all right? So I don't know. Is that a smallmouth bass or a walleye? I'm not sure. But I know this is a catfish. And once I caught 21 of these little diminutive form of catfish called bullheads, My dad was not raised Adventist. My mother, who was raised Adventist, didn't practice Christianity. We brought them home. These things have thorns on the side of their faces. They'll stick you. And I can remember cleaning them. And I can remember them going in a Ziploc bag. And I can remember them going in a freezer. But I can never remember them appearing on my plate. That's because my mama knew it wasn't food. And it once upon a time when I wasn't around, was stuck in a garbage can. The Bible says there's a group of people whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. So it tastes good. Setting your mind on earthly things is not how we get ready for heavenly living. Now let's come to Peter's vision. Pastor, you got it all wrong. Peter had that dream. And in that dream, God showed us you could eat everything. Listen, I've heard people say that about after the flood. Just remember, when the Bible calls something food, it's God's definition of food, okay? It's not modern man's 21st century, eat whatever you want, however you want, as much as you want, whenever you want food. Peter had the vision. I know what was in the, I know what was in the sheet. It was all kinds of things that no Jew would ever, ever eat or touch. You wouldn't eat a snake, but people do. And you wouldn't eat a monkey, but people do. And you wouldn't eat a turtle, but people do. The question is, is it food? A voice came and said to him while he was dreaming, he had a vision. Rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And I want to notice what he said. No, Lord, no, 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 no. For I have, what's the next word? Never. Never. Now, I'm going to make a point before I get to the main point. Jesus did not nail the health laws onto the cross as he was hanging there. This is far after the cross, and Peter is still practicing a superior lifestyle. He is not eating unclean things, and God knows it, and he's going to use it to make a point. I have never eaten anything. What's the next word? Common. Common. And here's where the stick is. The next word's important too, unclean. Now let's go back to all those jars. You remember how the Jews would wash their hands off because they didn't want to be defiled by the pagans? Peter still retained a form of prejudice that needed to be fixed. And God is going to take something And say, don't you ever relate to people like you relate to your diet. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the interpretation by Peter to Cornelius, who was a Roman, is that God has shown me that I can eat anything I want, not quite so fast. He has shown me that I should never, ever call any man less than me no common or unclean people yes it was a difficult thing and i would like to say peter got the lesson learned here but unfortunately paul will confront him when he's in galatians and he'll confront him in front of the whole church and say why are you going back to that again it was pretty deeply woven into who they were i perceive that god shows no partiality but in every nation whoever fears him and walks righteously is accepted by him all right let's go farther for all the seventh day admonists This is what God said during the Exodus to Moses. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. So what were those diseases? All right, studies done on these mummies revealed to us that they could have lived in modern day America. And their autopsies would have shown the exact same thing that ours are. Ramses II, people are fairly well convinced that he died of a massive heart attack. How do we know that? Because this doctor, Dr. Rosalie David, did the autopsies, and that's what the inside of his veins looked like. He had all the lifestyle diseases that we have today. And then these 14,000 x-rays by Dr. Claude Rufus, Cancer, heart disease, arthritis, obesity, high blood pressure, rheumatism, and STDs. Now I want you to notice this. It's S, it's T, and it's D. I'm getting ready to make a point before this sermon is done. That stands for sexually transmitted diseases. You think lifestyle doesn't matter? You need every one of your little girls openly living for Jesus so every boy knows the wrong advance is going to be rebuffed the very first time. I can do all things through Christ, Paul said, who strengthens me. But without Jesus, I can do nothing. So this sermon is built on this principle. With Christ, everything's possible. Without Christ, you'll stay stuck in your addictions and habits. The question will have to be do I have Christ and can he be Lord? The life to the left is a life of beauty, liberty, and freedom. The life to the right, is a life of temporary pleasure and indulgence. It also leads to sins that bind us in our own addictions. Now, I'm gonna bring, we're getting towards the end, folks. Why do these residents live longer than the rest of us? Get your phrase, what's it gonna say? I'm gonna put it up, next slide. This is from the Los Angeles Times. It's not a Seventh-day Adventist covering the article. Here's the answer. Loma Linda residents live longer than the rest of us, why? Because they treat their body like a temple. I want everybody here to stop and think about this. A temple, the indwelling Christ. I was in Peoria a month ago. My mother was having a heart valve inserted. I decided to drive across the Cedar Street Bridge. This is where I grew up. I went for a drive after my mom's surgery went well. I went for a drive. I went and looked at the church school where I went to school and was converted. I was stunned. It was bulldozed down. It wasn't even there. I went to the old church where I was baptized. And when I went to drive across the Cedar Street Bridge, I saw this thing out of the corner of my eye and I'm saying to myself, what does that say? Half of all youth Well, let's get a little closer. Here's what I did. I had to turn around. I thought I'm gonna go back and take a picture. But when I got close, you can see the mirror on my car in the bottom left part of the corner. When I got close, it's like there's no shoulder to pull off on, there's somebody merging this way and we're coming in this way. So I went around and did it again. And finally I pulled into a parking lot down low. All right, here's a little better one. Half, let's get up close here, half, of sexually active youth will get an STI by age 25 get yourself tested yeah that's what I said what's an STI some of you know because you're in the medical field but it's a euphemism because having a socially transmitted infection is less stigmatizing than having a socially, a sexually transmitted disease now you just need to know the difference between the words because some of these diseases are chronic which means they are with you until you die but an infection well take a pill that'll go away now listen in the book of first Corinthians it talks about sodomites it talks about all kinds of things and it says some of you were this why am I bringing this slide up because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as we become less and less open for Christ and our lifestyles are more and more like the world the devil who has saturated this society with sexuality is picking people off And while I've spent most of this sermon talking about diet and exercise, sleep, and self-control, I'm here to tell you the main thing is, is that while the press of the world is on us, if we don't live openly for Jesus with how all parts of our life come together, we are being set up to be swept over the Niagara Falls of self-destruction. I was stunned when I saw this billboard. Some of you know Mike Pompeo made a speech in the last couple of weeks. He's our Secretary of State. The world inside our borders is decrying it, especially the left. You know why? Because he made this statement, or something close to it, that much of our societal ills are a function of secularism. Now, you listen. And what I want you to hear is that statement bounces off the wall of the press and echoes back to us seven-day Adventists is that pretty soon we're going to need to get back to God. Everybody is sensing that a society that, that proclaims indulgence and exercise of liberty without the collective voice of its churches and its dads and its moms to say self-control is going to implode And people are getting ready to say, we better think about where we're going societally. Yes, I was stunned, flabbergasted. We're living in the last hour. God's glory is to be in all parts of our lives. Judgment is underway to vindicate all those that will receive mercy while it's available. But eventually,. It will close. Now, I'm going to, this is it. I've got about three slides, so don't get too worried. Anybody know where this is in the world? That's the Sinai Peninsula. So you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea up through here, or maybe down here, I'm not sure. The Suez Canal is in this body of water. The Israelites crossed over into, this peninsula, into the peninsula, came down, and somewhere down here in this mountain range is Mount Sinai. Now, there's at least two things that are becoming more prevalent in Adventism. I didn't say it in the first service, but I'm going to say it in this one. I've helped lots of people quit smoking. Lots. I don't know that I've helped too many people kick a caffeine addiction, but I've had different ones of them come to me and tell me how terribly hard it was. Just by me putting these few sentences in this sermon I'm laying myself out as the ultimate nitpicker of your lifestyle, but I don't care I grew up around coffee Those of you that are using coffee to live are churning through some of your vital force with artificial stimulation It's not bringing glory to you. It's wasted money And it's bad for you. But nobody wants to say that the ways we live today are bad for you. For fear of being accused of being a legalist. Legalism is a disease of motivations. It is not a disease of standards. The last thing I'm going to say to my 7th AM as brothers and friends is this. Daniel is a lifestyle illustration in story form of God's provision in the end and how God's people live. Daniel was a vegetarian. Look at the quote in your bulletin. Not now, just look at it when you get a chance, but in effect what it says is all those that are preparing to see Jesus are gonna let go of flesh food. Now when they left Egypt, they left with appetites. And along the way, God picked their food for them. The story of coming out of literal Egypt is a symbol of us getting out of this world, spiritual Egypt. What did he choose to feed them? They were a two million million-sized group of complaining vegetarians. But as we get ready to make the final Exodus home, we're to leave off the complaining and embrace the ideal diet for clarity of mind, steadiness of emotion, wisdom for decision-making. I didn't say this in the first service either. Meat is a stimulant of sorts. And especially for those who deal with issues of purity. It's a mistake to be eating it. I'd like my cards passed out. Everybody's going to get a card. There's no place to put your name. There's no place to put the date. There's two categories in the card. On one side it says, by God's grace I will leave behind. And then it has a list. If you don't like that list, add your own item. On the other half of the card it says, by God's grace I will begin too. And it has a bunch of positive things. If you don't like that list, add your own item to the list. It's Sabbath. You have time to think and pray. What's God calling you to do? Where is his apocalyptic people going? Some of you didn't sit through my Jesus on Prophecy seminar, so you don't realize that the Pope has called a meeting in May in the Vatican to re-educate all the global leaders on how to live in a global society. If you can't hear the overtones of the healing of the wound, if you can't sense the overtures Of the coming of Christ if you can't see the fulfillment of prophecy as the deadly wound is healed flesh food caffeine snacking say pastor why did you put eating between meals on there because it's the gateway habit to indulgence in other things I grew up eating whenever I wanted my wife grew up never eating between meals I adapted her habits When I was 14 years old, I convinced my whole family to become vegetarians. It was weird in the 1970s to be a vegetarian, unless you lived in California. My neighbors thought I was weird. My dad and mom went along with it. I ate as many hamburgers as anybody else in their first 12 years. I loved Hamburger Helper. I ate turkey, I ate fish. I ate chicken, I ate steak. I did a time or two have a pork chop. Tastes good, but it's not food. Snacking. Your body doesn't need to work all the time. The single greatest metabolic effort that's going on in your body during the day is digestion. And when your stomach never gets a rest, you're wearing yourself out. Alcohol, marijuana. You know, we legalize marijuana in this part of the state. It's absolutely unfit for ingestion. Cigarettes and drugs fill in the blank. By God's grace, I'll begin to exercise. Some of you never, never exercise. It's the new smoking, they say. I'll drink water so my heart's not pumping sludge. I'll get fresh air. Just open your window up every night when you go to bed. Leave a crack there. I'll eat more fruits and vegetables, but you don't like them. That's because you didn't eat them when you were young and no one made you. I will read my Bible. This will let you sleep. Listen, I read my Bible to go to sleep sometimes. It's okay. It's the most peaceful book in the world, at least most parts. I will pray so that I can trust God and I will keep a song in my heart. Why did I put that on? Because it will keep negativity and dark thinking out of your heart and mind. Add anything to the list you want Friends, what's God asking you to do? It's your card. You can put it in the trash if you want. But they used to ask our kids to make temperance pledges, and it was good. Because the human who makes a pledge to God has God to remind him to keep it. And by the way, God is into accountability. More, he's into encouragement. But he will hold us accountable. So, Jesus is coming. And his promises, he will hold nothing good from those who walk uprightly. All right, listen. One of the stories from between services. Someone left this church between the services. They said, I was under conviction to do what he talked about. In this case, it was a change of diet. But the person said, my family doesn't like it and I was thinking of quitting and giving up. Take courage. The first time I had a link yet, I thought this is no hot dog. (laughs) I wanted my Oscar Mayer back. But as Hulda Crook, who was one of those Blue Zone people said, I figured the head was on top, so it should rule. Could I get a better amen? And Jesus wants to be seated in the temple of your mind. Amen. And no good thing will He withhold. I still love to go to the fair, and all of that meat smells so good to me. Let's pray. Lord, Some cigarette smokers never get past the point of loving how the smoke smells, but they still quit. Our kids need to be trained how to live healthy and holy for Jesus, bless the parents to do it. Most of us, Lord, go up and down in regards to healthy living, but it's time to remember that it's good theological prompts that bring us to this place. Some of us have never even cracked open the book Councils on Diets and Foods. We're waiting for the latest scientific statement before we change. And some of us don't want to change no matter what we hear. I know you're the shepherd. I'm just the prompt. But I prayed before I came out here. And we prayed that this would be a divine worship hour. So I'm asking, Lord, may the divineness of this day only deepen as people think and pray about what you were saying to them today and what the next step is. May we not wait until January 1 to make all of our decisions. May we start talking and praying and dialoguing as families. And may we live open for Jesus without bragging about it. And may we be the sweetest, most beautiful people there are. With the greatest physical, mental, spiritual, and social freedom and strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.